Hey guys, well, welcome to another Known Experience podcast. This is Sean Scott. It is not John, and I have a don't have close to the to the voice that he does. But I'm tired of him jumping in first, and we're going to work through that today. With we have a therapist. <laughs> oh no! Thank you, Sean, for coming to us from Durham, North Carolina, with no electricity, doing it through his phone. We are making yeah. it happen. So Sean, thank you for working through that and joining us. Today we have got Mitch Isle, L-P-C-S-C-S-A-T-S-E-P. Those are his acronyms after his name. And that's 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 in the biz talk right there. Congratulations. You have more letters after your name than any other guest we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> love it. Love it. I, I gotta win at something, right? Well, here's what Mitch is winning at. When I was asking around Dallas, like who is great at doing therapy with men, counselor, psychologist, psychotherapist, clinical, I I don't know all the terminologies, but I got this resounding Mitch Isle is, is the guy. And so when we, we want to talk about that today on the, on the podcast about therapy, about men, about men's needs. And uh, just a little background on Mitch. Mitch specializes in collaborative therapy. He likes to introduce a lot of other things besides just counseling and therapy into the health and the growth process. Uh, he works with his wife. They have a facility up north of Dallas and are doing a lot of really progressive and creative things in the area of helping people uh, grow and navigate life. Uh, he is a certified sex therapist, a somatic experiencing practitioner. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a future podcast. But Mitch, also, this is something I just learned that you worked with the NCAA in the compliance and academic counseling fields. And I'd really be curious to know all about that. But Mitch, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, maybe another day, maybe another time. I'm just completely surprised that you even want to. <laughs> That right. was a formal life. That was a formal life, but it was it was actually a lot of fun. So would love to share a little bit about. But that's actually what got me into this field. You know, was working with a lot of athletes, and I would just sit for hours at a time each day, just talking to to different guys about their lives and what they're mm -hmm. experiencing, going through, and that really got me interested in this field. So, what? Yeah, real quick, tell us more about that. How did you get into that? What were you doing? Yeah, so um, I was doing compliance and also some academic counseling for a school down in Miami. And uh, through a variety of different situations, ended up, you know, doing some academic counseling. And I just wanted to spend more time with the athletes instead of being their enemy in compliance, you know, and worked with the basketball team, the football team some some female athletes as well in volleyball and I would just sit in our office and that, that was my job was just to talk and listen about what's going on in their lives and the difficulties they had and you know being there to also experience some of their accomplishments and triumphs too and that really put me on a path to explore okay what would it be like to do this for a living you know to do this for real because I have no clue really how to do this. I'm just sitting here listening to people and met my wife down there. We decided to go back to school for psychology and counseling. And so we're both, we're both therapists now. 
practicing together, but also probably arguing as much of the time as well. <laughs> back and forth. But we collaborate. We like to collaborate too. Yeah, we'll go into a whole nother podcast on should you go into business with your spouse? Yeah, I, I need my own therapist, actually. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, over the past, I don't know, 10 years, the kind of explosion culturally and the emphasis on therapy, right? It felt like a lot of people were shifting towards how important it was. And I didn't hear anything about it in my 20s and early 30s. But did that translate for you in quote unquote business or was it was it gender specific, right? Was there more of an influx with women that were seeking therapy? You know, I, I would say that, you know, I've been busy the entire time. And so I, I do think you're right. I think that over the past decade, definitely in the past three years since COVID hmm. hit, and then a variety of other things during that time and social justice issues and so forth. I think mental health has really come to the forefront in the public eye, which is, I, I, you know, believe can, can only be a, a good thing in really destigmatizing the, the idea of getting help. And when I say that, you know, for, for me, what getting help means is just spending time with somebody that knows how to listen. And it really is just about the relationship and what does building a healthy relationship look like. And I believe it's through that, that we experience healing, growth, lasting change in our lives. So I know I took that, Sean, in a different direction, but it's really in the last three or four years that things have really become more of the forefront. Yeah. Has it, has it been men and women? I do think there's a difference. I think there is less of a stigma and I hate to generalize but I think there's yeah. less of a stigma for women, but less of a stigma for men if it came to addiction. Hmm. And again, hmm. I, I hate to generalize that because I think there's, sure. but I do think in the field of addiction, it was very common to enter treatment or therapy to address addictive issues. But I do think it was a little bit more acceptable socially for women to, to engage in some type of counseling or therapy. But again, I, I, I have a very limited perspective on that in my experience. And I do mostly work with men, although I see about 20 to 30%, you know, female clients as well. So Mitch, when you talk about therapy, I think to people who've not been, there can be a lot of stigmas around it, a lot of ideas, especially with men, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to talk about my feelings and, you know, meeting one, am I going to sit down and he's going to like make me lay down on a couch and like unpack everything about my dad and all my hurts. And I'm not addicted. And my wife and I have a decent relationship. Why would I want to go to therapy? And what even would that look like? Um, can you kind of paint a picture of that for us and, and maybe help destigmatize some of the weirdness of, of therapy to some folks? Well, look, John, I mean, in, in all honesty, it is kind of weird, right? I mean, you're going to an office, <laughs> you're going to an office, you don't know this person, you're paying this person money so that you can talk to them. 
And, and so, you know, I've experienced it. It's awkward. It's, it's uncomfortable. And depending upon the person you meet with, it, it could sometimes suck. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, dissuade people from doing it. I think it's just, I think it's important to just be real about what it's like, but I do Thank, think. Thanks. You're really helping me sell therapy here. <laughs> but I, so I'll just hit, hit everybody first with the worst of it and then come back with, you know, some of the, just, the, I think the amazing benefits of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think that anything that has value, right. Uh, is largely uncomfortable on the front end, right? I mean, uh, really any relationship, if it's, if it's going to last, it's awkward or you have disagreement or you may want to dip out quite a few times or, you know, this bit, the business, right. I, I took over this business and the cultural shift is a uncomfortable grind for a lot of people right now. You know how the previous owner related is different how I am, you know, I'm, I'm taking our, our key people, our managers overnight to a lake house in two weeks, because I really want to have extended time with them. And two of them today, I was asking them how they feel. And one of them was like, frankly, I'd rather chew my leg off, but I know it's going to be a good thing. <laughs> you know. And so, you know, to your point, I think I think that, yeah, it, it is the perception, even for me is like, well, am I going to like the therapist? Is it worth my money? Is any change to come out of it? So there's a lot of kind of perceived negatives on the front end, right? A lot of costs. Exactly. exactly. Um, I think you make uh, uh, such a good point that it's not unlike any relationship. What relationship starts off perfect and I feel just right at home and very rarely. I mean, sometimes it may, you may hear something like that, but oftentimes it's awkward. You, you're just getting to know this person. And, and I think that's the beauty of therapy is that people think it's this different thing when in reality, it very much not only mimics, but it is a relationship. It may be therapeutic. It may be a professional relationship, but it is a relationship nonetheless. And I think that's where when, when I meet with somebody, I really emphasize the, the value of being aware of and acknowledging and what would it be like to be in a relationship where we can talk about how we experience each other. For example, you know, if we're, if you're coming in to Sean to talk about anxiety and how you like to learn how to manage that in your life and stress. And you're telling me about times, specific times when you're experiencing this anxiety so I can understand it better. And I notice that you're smiling and laughing as you tell me about it. I may interrupt you and I may say, Hey, I'm a little bit, I'm feeling a little bit confused because as you're talking about these times when you're really anxious I notice that you're smiling right now. Do you notice that you're smiling? Can we talk about that? So it's something that where I'm trying to be aware of how I'm experiencing you in the moment as a part of the therapy process. And for some people that can be very, very helpful 
to to get feedback versus when we're you know in typical relationships we're not going to typically ask like hey john how do you experience me when we're right. together right <laughs> like we're just not going to we're not typically going to say that and so it's hopefully therapy is hopefully a safe place where you can have immensely open honest genuine intimate conversations and go to immense levels of depth you know that that is sometimes scary for a lot of us and myself in in uh quote-unquote real life i think it's important for people to know that you don't start there you know you start as you say like getting to know each other start where you want to start right like if you're the client we're going to move at the speed that you want to move at at, at first and a good therapist is probably going to ask for permission to go beyond that. Is that right? Exactly. You know, I really try to meet people where they're at. And so if you want to come in and work on skills, let's work on skills. But usually most therapists are going to take three to five sessions really just to get to know each other and feel comfortable with each other. And hopefully the therapist is building trust with you that you feel like you can um, open up. But, you know, I, I do meet with some people that it's like, hey, I'd like to just learn some tools to manage my anxiety or my depression or whatever it may be. Or some people really want to explore their history in the past and how that connects to what they're experiencing now in the present. You know, it, it really just depends upon each person, but, but yes, I, I think a therapist, that's a good fit is going to meet you where you're at. And I think it's important for a person who's going into therapy for the first time to really, really vet the person that they're working with, ask lots of questions. I think one of the key questions to ask is how do you believe people change? I believe that's the key question. Because I think everything else flows from that. How somebody believes people change then really dictates how they approach therapy, how they approach the person, how they, you know, start walking somebody through different objectives to meet their goals. It really kind of dictates everything else. And, you know, it, 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 uh, most therapists will incorporate a variety of different approaches, but they still have one base foundational view of how that changes. And for me, it's it's really about consistent, healthy relationship, I believe, is the vehicle for change. And healthy relationship is messy and it's open. And I mean, we were just talking before this examples that both of you had about just being open with people who've been inviting you to different events and activities and just how to be open with what it is that you need, what it is that you want out of that relationship. And, and I think therapy is a, is a, a great tool to learn how to do that. And, you know, I believe there's other tools. I believe therapy is an excellent tool be able to do that as well would you say would 
would you say that it's fair to say that if most of our dysfunctions or challenges or problems that we struggle with personally entered our life through relationships, through other people, through experience, that those things will be transformed through relationship and experience as well? Yes. I, I don't I don't know if all experiences in, in which we've we've experienced pain or hurt. I mean there, you know, I, I work a lot with people experiencing trauma. Could be natural disasters, could be right, emotional neglect. I mean, there that's relational, but there could be there could be things that aren't necessarily coming directly from or caused directly from relationship. But I do think it's how people respond to certain situations that could be relational in an aspect of that. But I do believe most, a lot of the experience that we have, people come in mostly for relationship issues. Um, somebody comes in because of their anxiety. I don't know why I'm picking on people with anxiety. I've got anxiety. So, but people come in experiencing anxiety a lot of the anxiety is going to be surrounding some type of relationship or relationship dynamic, you know, and, and if that isn't the case, if it's not the genesis of the issue, it's going to be affecting relationships. So regardless of what the issue is, there's going to be some discussion of relationship. And again, I believe that it's therapy can be one of those relationships that can help bring about that healing and change growth. Well, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about today, you said men's needs. And that's kind of a, a broad concept. So I want to start out by just asking, what do you mean by men's needs? What is that? What's that look like? Yeah, this, this is a topic that really, really hits deeply for me. You know, I grew up in a family in which nobody's needs were really met. And I think my parents did the best that they could with what they had. They both experienced a lot of trauma growing up in their own lives. And I think trauma is generational. And that led to a very volatile, intense childhood. And for a child, their primary survival drive is to bond and attach with their parents. And it's the parent's job to attach, to help them to learn how to do that. The child doesn't know how to do that. doesn't know how to identify his or her thoughts or emotions or needs. And as a child, I didn't know either. And I don't think my parents knew either. And so that led to not only a life for my parents, my sister, but also myself of discovering and learning my own ways to meet my own needs. And a lot of those ways were destructive. They were, you know, destructive at most, at the very least, you know, didn't help the, the path that I was on to meet some of my goals. So by needs, what I mean is not only the thoughts, being aware of the thoughts and the emotions 
that we have, but also our psychological needs, our attachment needs. And what I mean by attachment is that that innate need and survival need to bond and attach to other people. And, and so that's where my main focus is, is that, that need to bond and attach. But it could also include physical needs in the moment. You know, I need sleep. I need to eat. I need those basic needs were something that I didn't even develop an awareness of and how to attune to. And so I, I find it very meaningful to help people to learn how to attune to those physical, psychological, emotional attachment needs. When you were talking about that, I just couldn't help but think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And for those who aren't familiar with it, I'll throw a picture of it up in the YouTube whenever we're doing this uh, on there. But the base is like air, water, shelter, food, right? And then it grows in complexity from there. Would you say it's common that when needs don't get met when we're younger, we just kind of decide I don't need those things? Um, that's not important to me. And we even may mock them if other people put importance upon them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just to piggyback on that, John, you know, I think it's especially, you know, coming out from a male perspective too, you, it could be, I don't need them or it's the need isn't great enough to seek help. You know, like it's, it's, it's something that I can manage. Right. So I'll make fun of it maybe with other people. I know I have an issue, but I can manage it. And we kind of push that, right? I think guys aren't great at saying, oh, this is something I need help with with changing or addressing because I can manage it or it's it's just not part of my story and that's fine, you know? And I think that's a difficult thing, even for me, maybe I'm just talking from my own experience where you just keep pushing the, whatever the limit is where I, where I need help <laughs> is further down the road. I'm not there yet, you know? Yeah, I, I think those, we can very much start to deny those needs that we have as a way to protect ourselves, if, whether it's physically or psychologically. And in one sense, I think when we do that, it's actually a manifestation of resiliency, right? It's it's survival. Mm in some ways to learn how to deny certain needs because they're not getting met in some way. So either I'm going to deny them or Sean, as you said, you know, how do I, how do I try to get those needs met on my own so that I don't have to depend upon another person who's going to hurt me or let me down or reject me in some way. I think in culture, women's needs are pretty well communicated, at least from what I see in relationship conversations, they tend to often be more about the needs of the woman and how the man is really crappy at meeting the needs of the woman. That's mm -hmm. most relationship talks I've heard. And the men's needs are basically sex and food. Like that's it. Is, would you say that's accurate? What do you see? Well, definitely culturally. I mean, you see you know, a lot of TV shows, right? It's the dad sitting on the couch. He's just eating chips and, you know, is talking about his sexual needs. I mean, it's, it's this stereotype, mm. right? I, I think you're right in that. And a lot of people that, a lot of men that I see, um, they're coming in because something is 
something is is off. Something is not going well. And I think there are specific things that they bring up, but I think underlying that is a lack of awareness of and and how to attune to their underlying unmet needs and how to meet those needs in healthy ways. And I think it's really important, whatever issues that we have, is to really identify, okay, what are the root core issues here? So somebody comes in, you know, I see a couple and they talk about the trash, you know, like he won't take out the trash or she won't take out the trash. And I'm like, it's not about the trash. It's not. One or both of you is not getting your needs met in some way. And so you're doing everything that you can to try to get your needs met. Let's talk about those. And then the trash will take care of itself. So as your average guy who's out there listening to this and, you know, processing what you're talking about, uh, how, how would you suggest discerning our needs and getting better clarity on that and maybe on things that we've said are not a need because we just gave up on it ever getting met how how do we decipher those things better other than going to a therapist which is a great way to do that <laughs> well you know there's there's a word that i use in therapy that talks about that refers to slowing down and 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 so i use this word titration to refer to that, that it's when we are in everyday life doing what we do, but not really stepping back from our experience and observing and reflecting. And, and I think that's a function of a lot of different things. I think we live in a world that is, you know, give it to me, you know, five minutes ago. You know, we, we want everything instantaneously, which I don't think helps anything. It's good to get things done, but I think that it's, it does us a disservice in really tending to our health. So I think a way to do that is simply to slow down. And I can even hear the people listening saying, what do you mean? I've got three kids and I've I've got, I work 70 hours a week and it, it's so important to prioritize and people think, oh, I need time. I need to get away for two weeks or a vacation. No, it's learning how to experience the stress of life, the activities of life, and at the same time, a curiosity and an awareness of what's going on internally and tending to those, to those needs as I'm experiencing life. And that doesn't come easy. It's, it's something, it's a skill that can mm. be built. And so things, things like meditation and mindfulness practice can be very helpful with that of slowing down and attuning. Sometimes when you're in a place where you can close your eyes and do that, that's great, but it doesn't have to be done that way. It could be something where you are driving in your car, but you slow down and you just gently direct your attention to the physical sensations in my body. Do I feel tense? Do I feel relaxed? Where do I feel tense? Where do I feel relaxed? Am I hot? Am I cold? So am I feeling 
emotionally what's going on. Do I feel disconnected from people in my life now? You know, do I feel really content and at peace? You know, what thoughts are running through my mind? What's the traffic like? And I think we're the only species on this planet that can step back and observe our own inner experience. We can have thoughts about our thoughts. And it's the, this metacognition that this skill that we can build over time. If I could just throw a f- few little suggestions in there for things that I've found as ways to make time for that sort of reflection, because I wasn't, when I was first introduced to that kind of idea, especially the body consciousness thing, I thought it was just all out there. And Sean had me come facilitate a little uh, conference that he did in West Palm. And this, this guy was this, what is that guy, Sean? Who is he? What does he do? The, the meditation guy. Yeah. Matt Cardone. Matt Cardone. Do you remember the kind of, is like Vedic meditation, I think, or something? Yeah. Yeah. And just body awareness. Like, how am I sitting right now? Where am I tense? Why is my hand clenched up? Like why, even like if you're having trouble laying in, like going to sleep at night, just kind of scan your body head to toe. Am I tense? Am I relaxed? How am I feeling? But when you talk about making time for those kinds of reflective moments, think about all the things that we make noise with in our minds when there could be a time of quiet and reflection. So in your car, on a drive, turn off the radio, turn off the podcast. When you're taking a shower, that's a really good time of just isolation, self-reflection. Any any other like times like that you can think of, Mitch, that are good times that we normally might just waste and let pass us by that we could actually take a moment to check in? Yeah, I mean, it, it's this is hitting very close to home for myself. I think for a lot of us, you know, we're on the phone. We're on our phone. We're looking at news. We've got everything at our fingertips. You know, you go into an elevator or a restaurant, you're going to see people on the phone, you know, just taking, I'm not saying don't use your phone, but maybe, maybe just one of those times we just put the phone down and we just check in. Mm -hmm. Where are my thoughts? What's the traffic like in my mind? Um, what emotions am I experiencing right now? What's going on physically in my body? Am I hungry? Do I feel full, satisfied? It's just that attunement and noticing. But there's other moments, you know, I've, I've got kids, young kids, and we're going to activities all around town. And, you know, while they're practicing, you know, I'm sometimes on my phone and I'm just answering email, looking at the news and, Maybe I, maybe I just put the phone down and watch my son or watch my daughter. And as I'm watching them, how am I taking that in? You know, where does that bring my thoughts? Noticing, it's not just what's happening, but also noticing over time, where are my thoughts and my feelings going as I just stay with it for 30 seconds? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that's been really helpful for me in in similar moments to that is whether it's in moments of high stress or busy days or peaceful moments where you feel very present and kind of in tune i think about when i'm when i'm intentional is this a state i like to exist in for prolonged periods right so if it's high stress at work for 
reasons that aren't really life or death, right? Like work will continue. It'll be there tomorrow generally. So, but I can find, you can find yourself perpetuating that energy, right? Of I got to get it done, but you, you don't really have to. I mean, you just say, I have to get it done today, like right now. And it creates this anxiety or laying in bed, right? Thinking about business stuff. And for me, what shuts it down is, oh, why am I choosing to perpetuate this feeling, right? And what can I do to, to make that dissipate, right? That's been really helpful or being more present. The same thing. This feels great. Why does it feel great? And how can that continue, right? And I think even in the first two months of this business, the temptation is to just grind it until there's a stable moment. But my fear was if I dive into this really busy season because it's warranted, right? And everyone would say, yeah, you just bought a business. Spend as much time as you need. Like be away from your, because this is what you do. But for me, it's like, well, that's what you do for how long? And then what's the cost? And then again, does that, when does it stop? Because it'll become your new normal and then you won't know it. There's a lot of exponential and kind of cascading effects to when we're not present, right? And I think that's where if you're, especially if you're an ambitious person, that's the trap is when we're not tuned in, the normal just becomes too hard to recognize as unhealthy or we've been in this state for too long. And so I I think you're right. Like just those simple tools, like how am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What can I do right now to, to change that is a, it's really powerful when you, when you can have the, I don't know if it's discipline. I don't know if you frame it that way, but to kind of recognize that and, and, and value it, right. Not just like, Oh, I'm emotional. No, you know, that's the temptation. Oh, I'm having a bad day or uh, this feels great because of, no, it's just great or it's bad because of very real reasons. <laughs> yeah. And and it's, and, and to, to circle back and connect it with what we're talking about before about attachment needs and our need and that, that those attachment needs of a child don't end with adolescence or a teen years. We know that it, those attachment needs carry on for the rest of our lives to build lasting deep bonds with other people. But I think oftentimes what goes undiscussed or even we're unaware of is the relationship with ourselves. So it's not, it it is slowing down and attuning in, in these skills that we can build, but it's also how do I relate to myself? And it's in those early attachment experiences with our parents, depending upon how they parent and our own personalities, we start to develop a relationship with ourselves of how we, how we talk to ourselves. How, how do we, do we, uh, when a need comes up, as we were talking about before, do we just brush it aside? Do we ignore those things or do we validate, acknowledge and validate those things? And I think early on, as as we're learning that, that impacts then the way that we interact and relate to other people as well. And so there's a relational aspect to mindfulness and meditation also. Mitch, what I, I 
feel like I hear you saying is that those needs, the unmet needs, the needs that we may have decided we don't need, whether we're aware of them or not, they are impacting our life. It reminds me of uh, a favorite quote of mine while we're, you know, mentioning famous psychologist, Jung, is it Jung or Jung? Jung. Says this, he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Let me say that one more time. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Can you uh, expound on that for us? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we could we could spend probably another 10 podcasts unpacking that. And, and I think my my take on that is that those unconscious drives, those unconscious needs, I see as relational needs. And if we don't become more aware, if we don't slow down, and reflect and understand those things and bring some light to those things, then yeah, they're going to impact us in ways that we never, we never even were aware of. We never thought were possible. And I see it every day. I see it every day in the office of people making connections and thinking, I never knew that this is why I do this thing, or I never knew that that people experience me this way, but it can very much have a huge impact. We've talked about needs from a very obscure standpoint for the most part. When Will you just put some names or some words to these needs that, we, that might be basic needs that a lot of folks listening to this are aware of or unaware of that, that most men have? And I know we're all different, but there is oh, yeah. there are some basic things, right? For sure. And I, I think you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy, right? I think that's that's a good start. You know, in in 12-step groups, they talk a lot about core underlying needs. And they talk about an acronym that stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. I like to add in an S stressed. So when I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed or unsettled or triggered, you know, they use the language of like triggered by something and I'm dysregulated before I do anything else, let me just walk through one. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely, disconnected? Am I tired? Do I need some rest or is there something stressing me out? And I think that's a very simple, very quick way just to check in physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs. And so, you know, I think, I think for some, there's also spiritual needs in terms of meaning and purpose. There's psychological needs in terms of, you know, not only relational dynamics, but mental health needs and those types of things. I was actually just talking to a nutritionist today and she was sharing with me how food and 
nutrition can specifically, in terms of like supplements and that type of thing, can specifically affect our mental health, serotonin production, dopamine production. I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail now, but so our dietary needs. So basically any of the things that we need in order to be healthy and fulfilled and satisfied in our life. Was that, did that answer your question specific enough? Yes. I'm, I mean, I was thinking more like the need to be respected, the need to be known, the need to be heard, the need for other people to hear and validate our own suffering, the need to be desired or admired or missed. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was thinking more like when we get the emotion ball, you know, and you turn it around to try to find like, oh yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Is there a list like that of needs? Oh yeah. 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 If you do a simple, you know, Google search mm-hmm. emotion wheel or a feelings wheel, or, you know, I have, I have one that I like to use. Um, yeah. Like a simple list of, but dividing the emotions that we feel as human beings into when I'm getting my needs met versus when I'm not getting my needs met. And, and so I think some of the examples you gave are things that I not only hear often, but things that I myself need. And I think for men, it can be sometimes difficult to verbalize and com- one to be aware of not all of us, but some, but a lot of us, I think, difficult to, to identify some of these needs, but then to verbalize something like, Hey, I need to be heard and seen here. That's very difficult for me, even with my wife to say something like that. But I think, I think those are some good examples. Yeah. Well, you know, even, even in saying that I I'm, I'm the same way. I I feel like I'm, I'm relatively in tune, but voicing that feels like weakness that in in saying it it's almost counterproductive right because you're saying you need help which doesn't feel like a place of strength or respect right so like the 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 feeling of wanting to wanting her or others yeah right and so you're like well that this actually feels worse than me kind of stuffing that and her respecting and you know, respecting how, how much of a man I am. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so it's almost like this hierarchy of, of needs where a lot of the things that are really important to build the foundation, we ignore because just that, that initial feeling of respect is the most important, you know, all, all other things be damned. And I think for a lot of guys that that's the root issue is we keep cutting ourselves off at the knees (laughs) because we're, we, there's just certain ones that are kind of more have higher priority, but it was just interesting when you said that. Sean, when you said that, it made me think about like, let's say you're in a disagreement with your partner and you could stop and say, what I really need here is, is to know that you care about how I feel and, and you're listening and you're hearing me or you could do that, or you could just shout louder than the other person and try to physically make that happen 
which doesn't really work. So it makes me think about like how we try to get our needs met in unhealthy ways or ways yeah, that aren't right. productive or helpful. Can you talk a little bit about that, Mitch? Yeah. What comes to mind right off the bat, as you say that, when we when we meet try to meet our needs in unhealthy ways, we're typically not aware of our needs. And when we're not aware of our needs, we're typically externally focused. We're focused on other people versus what's going on inside of us. And when we do that, one common way of trying to meet our needs or manage our needs is to try to control the other person in our relationship or relationships. We try to get them to see things from our perspective. We try to you know, convince them to do something a certain way or, or whatnot, instead of being aware of what's going on inside of us and being vulnerable as you shared, Sean, and trying to, you know, take a healthy risk and open up to be known, to be seen, to be heard. The very thing that we were just talking about trying to do also means that we make ourselves vulnerable to rejection and abandonment or hurt in the process of doing that. So there's this, in unhealthy ways, we can really focus on other people or other things or other or the circumstances versus what's going on internally. And I think it's a balance. There needs to be a balance. I'm not saying it needs to be all internal, but a healthy balance there. You know, I've talked before about how I worked in addiction for years in working with rehabs and programs and 12 steps and all of that. And it seems like while there are psychological and spiritual and biological components to addiction, it isn't a lot of addiction, people trying to get needs met in unhealthy ways. I know it's an oversimplification, but. No doubt, no doubt. And, and not just addiction, but we all have those areas in our lives that, that may be problematic, right? That we may use certain things or experiences to, to feel better, to self-medicate. So using the example of myself as a child, if nobody's really modeling for me or teaching me how to be aware, how to attune, how to, and then meet my need, identify those needs and then meet those needs in healthy ways, then I'm going to, I'm going to look for and, or just discover how to, to feel better. And that could mean playing video games. That could mean, you know, watching pornography or using sex as a way to feel better or substances or even relationships as a way to feel better. The brain doesn't distinguish between substances or experiences in terms of feeling that sense of pleasure. And so if you take feelings when my needs are not being met, hurt, sad, you know, angry, those types of feelings, and then I can experience something pleasurable, that is very, that's a very powerful experience and something that our brain 
as a part of the reward system, it helps us to learn that, hey, when I feel something difficult or painful or unpleasant, I can feel good and pleasure here. So we learn how to do that. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with video games. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. Well, I don't know if some people would disagree with me in that, but there's nothing wrong with those things. But why, asking myself, why am I drinking right now? Am I drinking because I'm avoiding this other thing that's really stressing me out or this other person that's really hurt me? And am I going to these other things more and more? And is this a pattern in my life? So these can be unhealthy ways of kind of managing our needs. Yeah. And it, and it, and it almost, you know, it kind of, I don't want to say it makes sense, but they're predictable, right? The, the outcome is predictable. That's it. When you, when you are in dynamic relationship with numerous people in your life that you care about, there's expectation. So when you present yourself to one person, their reaction is going to be different from the next person, from the next person, your community is usually fluid. And so a lot of times, even if you're operating in a healthy way, if you have any sort of external motivation or, you know, which all of us do, right? Like we, we, when we are come into a relationship, we share, we're expectant of kind of a reciprocation maybe at, to some level. And so if it's not there or if it's a negative one, then it is much easier to default to, to the unhealthy ways because they're just predictable in a world that's very unpredictable. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it, it really comes down to, in my mind, to acknowledgement and giving attention to and attunement to not only other people, but ourselves. And that's what I see most of here in my office is people that are still learning how to, how to do that. And I think, and, and I'm not perfect at it either, but I think being in a safe place, feeling comfortable and safe where we can help each other to do that. I'm so glad you went there because that was my next question. Like this, this really this issue we could do multiple podcasts about, right? But we haven't even talked about getting our needs met in healthy ways. But that idea of helping other people discover their needs as well, whether that be our partner or our coworker or our kids, how are you, what do you need from me right now? Or like, I, I don't think we ask others that question. We kind of assume what they need or we give them what we think they need or we ignore it altogether because we don't want to get into that, right? But it seems like that could be a really important part of healthy relationships. That's spot on. I mean, that's, that's the question, right? Is, is, hey, what do you need right now? And, and I ask myself a lot, you know, what, what do I need right now? Sometimes I'll be meeting with somebody and, and they'll come in and they'll say, hey, how have you been? How's it going? And sometimes I'm just frozen. Like I have no idea. I've just been going and going and I haven't, I haven't checked in. And I'll just say like, I don't know. I really don't know. Like I, I, let me think about that for a moment. 
but I think that's that is the key question is how do we bring that out into our our conversations and our relationships but I think there's attached to it that that's that's a lot to unpack it's that takes time that takes effort that takes energy yeah and if we we're living these very busy lives it's like how do we find time to do that yeah I mean how often do we start a conversation or hey how's it going and what's the answer it's either fine which means completely not well or busy busy is a a big answer you get from people, which means nothing. Right. Um, but yeah, rarely do we get in beyond that to really wanting to know what's going on in our friends' lives, right? Especially for men, I would say. And I think it's 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 men coming together, and I, I include myself in this, of coming together and, you know, neither one or none of us have an idea of what our needs are. And so if there's anything that prohibits or hinders us from connecting with each other, it's that. I mean, if we don't, if we don't really know or understand what our needs are, then it's going to be really difficult to connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. We can have, we can have very surface level interactions. That's not a problem. We don't need to know our needs for that. Um, and so I can get by a lot in my life. I have of just staying surface level, but then I start to feel this, this gnawing sense of dissatisfaction and unfulfillment yeah. in my life. Yeah. Well, Mitch, I know I could, I could be on here for, for many hours. You know, this is why John and I do what, what we do. So we really appreciate your time. I know you, you give all day and this is just another outlet to give. So thank you. Thank you for that. We, we deeply value that. And we hope, we hope guys are listening to this and, and hear the value and what guys like Mitch are doing. It's, it's really important and don't keep kicking it down the road, right? Get your needs met, identify them, be present to them, do the work. It might be a grind, but the outcome is, is going to be good. So. Thanks so much, Sean, John. I appreciate that. One last thing I'll ask of you, Mitch, if somebody's listened to this and they are just open a little bit and say, okay, maybe I want to talk to somebody, what would you suggest for next steps for them? Yeah, I think the, the first step would, you know, that you can get, you can get on the Google machine. You can <laughs> just try to find some random person, but I would bet that there's somebody in your life that is either in some health care related field or you know somebody that does counseling that's in counseling i really encourage you to to try to connect with somebody you already know that has some kind of connection or they know somebody that could give you some referrals to meet with somebody that i think is a better way to go than i mean you can go to psychology today which is a, a great resource where you can look up a therapist in your area. But I really recommend getting referrals or recommendation from somebody already in your life where they know someone. Great. Well, I just want to echo everything Sean said and uh, thank you. And hopefully we'll have you back and go more in depth into some of these other issues that we've just kind of like breezed over. But thank you for all that you do. Again, as Sean said, 
you give all day and you've got your own life and your own family and your own challenges. And just thank you for helping with the same cause that we have to help men be healthier, happier, better friends, better partners, better leaders. That's what we're all about. So thank you, Mitch. Thanks so much, John and Sean. I really, really enjoyed it. And I appreciate you guys having me on and would love to be back at some point. You have been listening to The Known Experience. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you are alerted whenever we have a new episode. And if you want to know more about us or if you just want to reach out and contact us, you can go to knownexperience.com. Check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Take care.